after a while, in the time of wheat harvest, it happened that Samson visited his wife with a young goat. And he said, let me go in to my wife, into her room, but her father would not permit him to go in. Judges chapter 15. Her father said, I, I really thought you thoroughly hated her, therefore I gave her to your companion. Is not her sister, her younger sister, better than she is? Please take her instead. And Samson said to them, this time I shall be blameless regarding the Philistines if I harm them. Then Samson went and caught 300 foxes and took torches, turned the foxes' tails, tied it on their tails, and put a torch between each pair of tails. When he had set the torch on fire, he let the foxes go into, into the stranded grain and, of the Philistines and burnt up both the, the, the shocks and the standing grain as well as the vineyards and olive groves. Then the Philistines said, who has done this? And they answered, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. So the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. Samson said to them, since you would do a thing like this, I will surely take revenge on you, and after that, I will cease. So he attacked them hip and thigh with a great slaughter. Then he went down and dwelt in the cleft, cleft, cleft of the rock of Etam. Now the Philistines went up and camped in Judah and deployed them, themselves against Lehi. And the men of Judah said, why have you come against us? So they answered, we have come up to arrest Samson, to do him as he has done to us. Then 3,000 3, men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Etam and said to Samson, do you not know that the Philistines rule over us? What is this you have done to us? And he said to them, as they did to me, so I have done to them. But they said to him, we have come down to arrest you that, you, that, that, that we may deliver you into the hand of the Philistines. Then Samson said, swear to me that you will not kill me yourselves. So they spoke to him saying, no, but we will tie you securely. That's funny. We will tie you securely and deliver you into their hands, but we will surely not kill you. And they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. Verse 14. When he had come to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting against him. Then the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And the ropes were, uh, uh, were on his arms, became like flax, that it burned with fire, and his bond broke loose from his hand. He found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, reached out his hand, took it, and killed a thousand men. 
with the jawbone of an ass. Over these last couple of weeks, we have been looking at instances in the lives of Moses and David, respectively. As we have been speaking towards the theme, what is in your hand? Today, I want to take the opportunity to look just one more at one more individual in the person of Samson as we build another component of this particular series. With Moses, we saw the magnitude of the task before him with what seemed to be meager tools, yet God would show his power and might by making Moses' rod a symbol and testimony of his, God's, ability. With David, however, we saw an obstacle that became yet another opportunity for God to get his glory. As David faces the giant Goliath, unlike Moses, David does not flinch at the prospect of what is in front of him. He is not standing up for God as though God is some weak God that is in need of help, but, but rather he is standing with God and thus God, God's glory shines through him. I think that's important because sometimes we think uh, that we have to stand up for God. We don't necessarily serve a God. We don't serve a God that has to have us as his creation stand up for him. God is fully capable of standing up for himself. So when David stands, he doesn't necessarily in our terms stand up for God in as much as he stands with God. Moses would have recognized that ultimately after God would have commissioned him and God would have empowered him, Moses recognized eventually that the battle truly belongs to the Lord. And so David in his youth would have recognized very similar early on in his life that every battle and every fight that he encountered belonged to God. And so though he stood, he didn't stand up for in our terms, but rather he stood with God. And God ultimately shines through him and receives the glory. We saw that in spite of doubt, Mo, uh, David trusted we saw that in spite of the trials and the tests, these trials and tests became powerful testimonies which fueled David's faith. Thus, we will go on now to, to look at Goliath. And, and, and as we looked at Goliath, we, 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 we saw that not only did he stand with God, but he also kept both the law and the promise by striking down Goliath with a smooth stone while cutting off his head afterward with Goliath's own sword. So the rod for us represented the tools that God has placed within our hands. While the sling and the smooth stones represent, so for purpose of our study, represents things that we are well familiar with. And so finally, in the third installment of our, our series, what is in your hand. We want to look at the person of Samson in Judges chapter 13 through 16. Our focus text is going to be chapter 15 as I speak under the subtopic, when God is your source, everything else is your resource. When God is your source, and I know my accent is ringing very thick right now with the word source. <laughs> 
When God is your source, everything else is your resource. A source is a person, place, or thing from which something comes or rather can be obtained. As opposed to a resource that is any and every asset necessary for effective operation. In many respects, in many regards, God is both a resource and a source, but I don't want us to really mix it up because in as much as he is a resource time and time again, truly he is the source of everything. Where do we go to find strength but God? Where do we go to find hope but God? Where do we go to find comfort but God? Where do we go to find love but God? Where do we go to find direction, identity, and purpose but from the source which is God's church? Where do we go to find victory but from the source which is God? And so it's one of those things, when you think about God being a source and a resource, the reason why I want us to focus on God being the source of all things and not necessarily just a resource is because when we think of the use of the term resource, it's a thing that we only use when we really need it. It's, it, it's like an ATM machine and, and, and you have your, your credit card or your bank card and you only go to the ATM machine when you need some cash. But when we think about God being truly a source, the, the source of life, the source of light, the source of righteousness, the source of humility, the source of everything that we need to sustain ourselves, we become dependent on God every single minute of every single day. So unlike going to God only when we need a quick prayer for strength, we need to be in God's presence every single minute because, God, we need you if we have to sustain ourselves. Unlike going to God simply when our heart is broken, but when things are going good, we don't necessarily need God. When God is our source, I'm with you every step of the way because every breath I take is a testimony to your provision in my life. You guys with me? So God, while yes, it's, a, it's, it's, it's not supposed to, supposed to be seen as an either or, it's more a both and. God is my resource, but ultimately he is my source. So I go to him in times of trouble. I, I go to him in times of distress. But when things are going good, I still go to him because he is the reason why I have what I have. He's the reason why I am where I am. He's the reason for the blessings that I have. So I, I lean in on God in the good times, and believe you me, I lean in, in, lean in on God in the bad times as well. So when God is our source, everything else, church, becomes a resource. So I want us to be very careful not to simply find ourselves in a position where we only use God as a resource. You know how that goes, right? When, when we tell somebody or somebody says to us, use me as a resource. Uh, and what they're saying is, you know what? You, if, you, if, if you need a recommendation, call on me. Put me down. Or, or, or if you need something, I, I, I'll be right there. Let me be one of the individuals you call on when you need something. And so the, the chances are you may not necessarily have to call on a person because you may not necessarily need that person. You guys with me? And so it's not that we need to have God reserved simply as a resource for when we simply need, but we need to appreciate that God is the source of everything in our lives that sustain us and everything in our lives that is good and righteous 
and true. So as we think about our text on today, I want to do this really quickly. I want to be, I don't want to be long, but I really want to be strong, if, if that's okay. As we think about, as we think about this text, it's, it's pretty much an anomaly, right? Because there is only so much information we have concerning the person of Samson. And as you think about everything that we know about Samson, it, it's really limited. And, and so we are only confined to these four chapters, Judges chapter 13 through Judges chapter 16, in getting some type of summary as to the type of life or the type of person that Samson was. So apart from the fact that we already have just four limited chapters to make a, some, some type of determination into the personal life of, of Samson, even that limited amount of information is eclipsed by sometimes how, how little we think of Samson. Oftentimes when we think of Samson, even though if we go through in a critical way, if we were to critically go through Judges chapter 13 and make our way through to Judges chapter 16, we could come up with a litany, a list of characteristics that identify the person of Samson. Samson was a playful. Samson at times was arrogant. Samson, of course, was strong. Samson uh, at times was disobedient. We could come up with a list of things that characterize Samson. But the two things that stand out the most, the two things that we remember the most about Samson is the fact, number one, that he was strong. He had a strength like nobody else on the face of this earth. We coin Samson as being the strongest man physically to have ever walked the face of planet earth. And I know we, we have these competitions today, world's strongest man and, and all that kind of stuff. These, these guys were babies compared in strength, babies compared in strength to the kind of divine strength that Samson was blessed with. I, I don't care how strong you are, you could throw a boulder and you could, you could throw these, these, these kegs all the way up how many feet all you want, but if I were to wrap uh, the, the strongest rope that man could, 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 could make and put it around you, you don't have the strength as a human being to break that, to burst that. And so I want us to understand as strong as these men are, and some of these men are strong, but as strong as these men are, they are like newborn babes compared to the type of strength that Samson has. So we know as we think about Samson, Samson was a strong man. Say strong man. And in as much as he was a strong man, the second thing that we identify about Samson is, is, his, is his feelings when it comes to Delilah. Tell me I'm wrong. When, when you're in kindergarten or, 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 or in Sunday school, we, we, we teach the kids about Samson and his strength. But when you get a little older and you get to middle school or, or high school or you become a young adult, that's when you now teach the kids about Samson and Delilah. Funny how that works. It's kind of the same thing with David. When we teach kids about David, we, we, we teach them about David and Goliath, but it's when they get a little older, do we teach them about David and Bathsheba? So two things ultimately stand out about Samson. His strength and his sin. And sadly, this is just the world that we live in. Sadly, the things that are magnified the most in life is not oftentimes our strength, but our weakness. If we're honest with ourselves, we... We'll, 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 we'll testify to the fact that sometimes the things that people remember and bring up the most about us, if we, you know, many of, some of us have those type of pasts, some of us have, have some history, 
Some of us didn't come from a, 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 a good, strong family upbringing, so we did some stuff growing up. <laughs> Anybody here ran away from home because you wanted to go and have a good time with friends? I'm not asking you to raise your hand. <laughs> Just tap your toes, move your toes or something. <laughs> Anybody here, you, 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 you had a drink in a bottle that was not supposed to be alcoholic, but while you were sipping, you were getting, you were getting vibes, you were getting a nice head? <laughs> Anybody here? <laughs> Anybody here ever found themselves doing things that they know they weren't supposed to be doing and they had to do it in secret because if mommy or daddy found out, your buttocks was going to be red for a few days. Anybody here? I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to say something. I'm, I'm trying to say something, Scott, that sometimes we come with a past and, and at the end of the day, we, 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 we encounter God, we encounter Christ, and we make that change. But sometimes people don't see the change. What they see is the person you used to be. So people often magnify your sin as opposed to your strength. Well, here's the funny thing. I've said it a time and time again. We all have sin. So God doesn't magnify our sins. He wants us to confess our sins, but he wants to magnify our strengths. But here's the human trait. Here's the human nature. We need to magnify sometimes people's sins to make us feel good about who we are as a people. So in order for me to feel a little bit better about myself, in order for me to feel a little bit better uh, in, in, my, in, my, in my spiritual well-being, in order for me to feel better about my practice and my religion and my character, I magnify your sin because if I magnify your sin, Thomas, it makes me look a little bit better. So oftentimes we magnify the, the, the sins of individuals so that we could make ourselves look a little bit better. Let me show you how that works in a family. You will tell a child, and I'm, I'm confessing to family life, you know, you will tell a child, don't sit in this chair. Maybe it's, this might just be a Caribbean thing, but you try not to let the kids eat where the, the, the good chairs are. Especially if you have a two-year-old, right? That, that, that your chairs will become messy real quick. But you try your best to tell the children, you don't eat in this area, you sit here and eat. Because the understanding is you don't have the, the mechanical skills to be able to take a spoon or a fork, put it into your meal, and cleanly and efficiently enough put it into your mouth without creating a mess. But you tell the child, you two-year-old, you three-year-old, don't sit here. Sit here. Here comes the parent or the teenager or an adult that sits in the space. And you know what the, the first thing the child will say? They take up their bowl and they make their way to the seat because the adult is sitting right there. And you come in and you tell the child, I thought I told you not to sit in this seat. Here is what the child will say to you if you've ever experienced this before. Well, how is it that this person is sitting down in this seat? So we often try to justify who we are. We often try to justify our misgivings based on the reality of people's situations as well. But as we look at Samson, I want us to appreciate something really, really quick about Samson in this particular instance. So we know very little about Samson, but there is, there is something that plays on my heart and has been playing on my mind in this particular account of Samson since I began looking at this series. Now, in chapter 13, if you don't mind, just come with me into chapter number, open to chapter 14. I'm going to do this really quick, church. I told you I wasn't going to be long, but I need to be strong. Uh, make your way into chapter 14, right? 
But let me do this. In chapter 13, in chapter 13, we, we are introduced to Samson that was yet to be born. You have, you have this man, a Danite from, uh, you, you know, uh, his name is Manoah, and he has a wife. His wife is barren. Uh, an angel of the Lord comes to her, and, and, and he says to her that you will have a child. This is going to be a special child. This child is going to be a deliverer on behalf of God to the people of Israel. Why is that? Because at this particular point in time, Israel is under Philistine rule. And they are only under Philistine rule really because of the sinful nature of their hearts. They have, they have constantly gone astray from God. They have constantly moved away from God's precepts. They have constantly gone away from God's commands. They have mingled with people of the area. They have adopted all these different false gods. And so God says, I will use the Philistines to teach you a lesson. And so the Philistines would subjugate the land for a period of 40 years. All right? And so we find a situation now where as this is progressing, here comes Manoah and his wife. His wife is barren, and the angel of the Lord said, I am going to use her and her womb to bring forth this individual, who was Samson, by the way, the last of the 12 judges of Israel. And God will say concerning Samson that he will begin to deliver the children of Israel from their bondage. He will begin to deliver them from being under Philistine rule to being once more a nation that would probably rule themselves. Follow me on this. So this is the context in which, uh, you know, the angel comes to Manoah and his wife. And, and so eventually, something is said to this woman that she has to uphold. And, and so the angel says to her, even while he is in your womb, you need to stay away from things that come from divine. You need to stay away from strong drink. You need to stay away from eating anything that is unclean. It's repeated twice because Manoah wasn't there the first time. It's repeated again this time in Manoah's presence in chapter 13. She needs to be careful. It says she needs to be careful to follow strictly everything that I have said. For this boy, this deliverer, this judge, this champion of God is going to stand with God in beginning to deliver the children of Israel from under Philistine rule. And so we, we begin to, to get a glimpse a little bit into, into Samson's purpose and his person. But in chapter 14, and here's what I want us to see really quickly before we move into our text. In chapter 14, what we begin to see, if you move from chapter 14 into chapter 15, into chapter 16, Samson apparently had a little issue with choosing a certain type of companion. He loved those foreign women. And by foreign here, I, don't, I know when I say foreign to us in our context, it might have a little bit different connotation, but the idea of foreign here is anyone that was outside the, 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 the nation of the Jews. And so if you weren't a Jew, it didn't matter what nation you came from, you fell under a class called Gentiles. So, so Samson had an eye for these Gentile women. But in chapter 14, here's what I want us to see because ultimately we, we think that this was a, a major misgiving and it would have led, it would have led ultimately to his downfall in chapter 16. But I want you to notice something really quickly as I build my case hurriedly. In, in verse 1 of chapter 14, are you there with me? Please tell me you're there. I'm going to try and do this really quick. 
Now Samson went down to Timnath and saw a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. You guys with me? So he went up and told his father and mother, saying, I have seen a woman in Timnath of the daughter of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me for a wife. And I need for us to understand, if you understand the full context of what's going to take place in chapter 14 and later on in chapter 15, it seems as if Samson really loved this woman. But look a little further at verse number 3. Then his father and mother said to him, and, and they are saying this with all due respect to what they know concerning the law, because in the law of Moses, they were supposed to, uh, they were supposed to stick to people in their own nation. And the reason for that, that, that that was placed there in the law, it was stated that these foreign individuals will bring their gods and they will turn your heart from me. So case in point, Solomon had a thousand wives, many of whom were from foreign nations, and so Solomon gave into idolatry even in his own life. So, so it's, not, it's not as if to say that you didn't have individuals being married to, to these foreign people and God striking them down. No, but God is saying the reason why I don't want you to intermarry is because these people will draw your heart further and further away from me. But notice this. Then his father and mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all the people that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? You guys remember that statement, uncircumcised Philistine? Last week when we looked at the statement that David made concerning his conviction to slice this man's head off. You come to me in, with sword and shield. I come to you in the name of, our Lord and Je of, 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 of the Lord my God. You remember he called him an uncircumcised not just Philistine, but uncircumcised dog. But notice this. And Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she pleases me well. Verse 4, and I'll be done. I'll, I'll go straight into my text after this. Verse 4. But his father and mother, you guys in verse 4? If, 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 let me know. You, you there in verse 4? All right. But his father and mother did not know it was of the Lord that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines, for at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. The New Living Translation will put it this way. They did not realize that the Lord was at work in this. So I need for us to appreciate at least what is going to transpire right here in Verses four, in chapter 14 and chapter 15, there seems to be a strong implication and indication that God's hand is in this. It's a plan that, 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 that Samson is trying to follow through with. Whether it's a plan that he himself came up with or whether it's, it was divinely given, the scripture allows us to recognize what's transpiring in chapter 14 and chapter 15 with his connection to this Philistine woman is something that God has a hand in. You guys with me? What happens is really quick. What happens is that he was supposed to marry this woman. And ultimately, he, his father and, and, and himself put on this feast. It's supposed to last seven days. But on his way down, the first time he encounters a lion, and the scripture would say that the spirit of the Lord was mighty upon him, and he slayed the lion with his bare hands. And on the way back, he went to see what was going on with the carcass of the lion. And as he peeped in on the carcass of the lion, he saw that there was, uh, there was honey formed in the carcass of the lion. 
And so he would, he would take some honey, he would eat it, it would, it would be good, he would go, he wouldn't tell his parents anything, he would go and he would give them some of the honey to eat as well. So he came up with this riddle, and he said to them, listen, if, if, if all of you who are here could answer this riddle, I will give each and every single one of you 30 changes of clothing each. But if you can't answer this riddle, then you will have to give me 30 pieces of clothing each. And the riddle was seemingly simple, but they couldn't get it. It, it was out of the eater something to eat, out of the strong something sweet. It baffled them for days. Until eventually what they did is they, 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 they threatened the young lady, if you don't find out what the, the, the answer to the riddle is, we will kill you and your father. So she gets in there with Samson, and ultimately Samson gives her what the riddle is. And on the last day, on the last day of the feast, before the day is through, they, they say, what is stronger than a lion? What is sweeter than honey? And Samson utters the words, you would not have known that had you not plowed with a next man's heifer. I, I just love the King James language on that. In other words, if you didn't mess with my wife in, in a wrong way, you would not have received the, the answer. And so he goes and he finds uh, some Philistines nearby and he slaughters them and he gets their clothing and he throws it at these individuals. But he, he's angry and so he leaves the house. He leaves their presence and he goes away to his father's house for a time. In chapter 15, he makes up his mind when the time was right, he was going back to be with his wife. But now his father-in-law, would-be father-in-law, gives his wife to who would have been Samson's best man. I was going to make a statement on that, but I'll leave that alone. Watch out for those best men. <laughs> but here's the scene. Samson gets angry. And so rather than take it out on the people, he says, I'll do some mischief. I just want you to watch this. Just watch this. I'm, I promise you, just watch this. So he gets these foxes and he puts them in pairs. He takes some torch, torches and he lights them and he sends these these foxes ablaze through the fields and through the orchards and through the vineyards. Everything is burned up. And so the soldiers of, Phil of, of, of the Philistine soldiers, they come back now and they inquire who did this. They find out it's Samson. But why did he do it? It's because his would-be father-in-law gave his wife to somebody else. So what do they do? They kill his wife and father-in-law. Samson gets ticked off. All right? Samson gets ticked off. But in as much as he gets ticked off, now the soldiers have decided that we are going to get the Israelites to go and get Samson to bring him to us because we, we want to do to him what he has done to us. Watch this. So no sooner did Samson realize that they were about to kill him, now he faces off with the Philistine army. Right? Samson is the strongest man to have ever walked the face of the planet Earth. He didn't necessarily need anything in his hand, I believe, to slaughter anybody. But the only tool that he would have seen fit to use at that particular point in time when he is facing these Philistines, we know that he slaughtered at least a thousand. That's what it said, but it, I'm pretty sure there were more than just a thousand Philistine soldiers that were there present to subjugate him. Watch this. Of every single tool that he could have pulled out, he could have raft one of the soldiers and taken away their sword. He could have pulled one of the soldiers and take away their spear. 
But of all the tools that Samson would have used in his hand to slay and to kill these thousand soldiers, he would have looked down and saw a carcass of a donkey. He grabs the jawbone of the donkey and he uses the jawbone of the donkey to slay a thousand Philistine soldiers. Moses had a rod in his hand. <laughs> David had five smooth stones and a sling. Samson takes up the jawbone of a donkey to fight against steel and spear and arrows. With Moses, we saw that the rod represented every single resource that God has placed within our hands to do what God has set out for us to do. You guys with me? I'm done. With, with, with David, we saw that the five smooth stones and the sling represented using things that you are well familiar with. Stop trying to do things that other people are doing. Stop trying to use things that other people are using. Find that thing that you are comfortable using and use that to God's honor and to his glory. But now we have the jawbone of a, of a donkey. That represents for us, for all intents and purposes, for our class, that represents using ingenuity and thinking. Because sometimes you don't necessarily have the tools. Sometimes you don't necessarily have the thing that, that you might deem worthy to fight your fight or to work your work. Sometimes you have to think and be inventive. Who would have thought three years ago that we would have been using Zoom for worship? Who would have thought that, that now we have to think of different ways to try and keep brethren together? Who would have thought that now we have to think outside of the box? What do you mean, brother, that we don't only have to meet on a Sunday morning? So now we have to be inventive and, and now we have to be thinking. Now we have to use our minds and, and see what can I do with what I have? Because sometimes what we have might not necessarily fit the mold of what it looks like to fight a fight and to fight a battle. So when I think about Samson, as I, I think about the jawbone of the ass, that for us ought to represent ingenuity. That for us ought to re represent cunningness. It ought, ought to represent courage because it takes courage, it takes ingenuity, and it takes strength to take up an unconventional, unconventional tool and use it to do great feats. You guys with me? So when I look at Samson, I don't want to magnify the man's sin. I want to see how he partnered with God and, and how God was able to use him to accomplish great feats. But you know how that ends, right? You know how it ends because it ends with Samson giving up his secret to this woman, Delilah. It, it, it ends with Samson straying from God to the point where he gets his eyes plucked out and he finds himself in bonds. He was supposed to be the one leading the children of Israel out of bondage to now finding himself in bonds. I want us to see that if we are not careful, we could allow the gifts of God to be used, not to God's honor and to his glory, but we could become puffed up and we could become pride-filled. So every single victory, every single, every single battle and every single fight one is not something for us to beat our chest with, it's for us to say, God, you are the victor, you are the one, you are the source. We are the resource. Let's stand. What do you have in your hand? What, 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 what do you have in your hand? I'm not asking for the things that you have to search and find, but, 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 but what, what has God gifted you with in the mission of saving souls?
What are you good at? Are you the type of person that loves hospitality? Are, are you the type of person that, that's good with doing here? Are you the type of person that, that's good with greeting or meeting people? Are you the type of person that, that, that's good at counseling? What are you good at? Because what you are good at could very well open doors to help bring people to Christ. You say, well, Brother Morgan, I don't really know too much about the Bible, but I, I, I love Scrabble. Well, find somebody who loves Scrabble too. But I'm walking, I, I really can't speak as well as some of these, my other friends who, who, who've grown up in the church and, and their families have grown up in the church, but I, I like to play disc golf. Well, find somebody who plays disc golf too, who is not a member of the, and there could be a member of the church that's struggling, but find somebody who is not a member of the church who likes disc golf too and help bring them to Christ, whatever you are good at. You guys with me? Be willing to use that. And then finally, Sometimes we don't have the necessary tools or resources directly in our hand. Pray to God for innovation. Pray to God to bless you with the vision. And I know, I know, I'm going to say this. I'm, 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 I'm on TV, so I'll say this anyway. I'm, I'm already, you know, I'm, I'll say this. Traditional church loves tradition. So anything that looks as if it's going against tradition, you will have people saying evil against, against it. Special times calls for special people, calls for special plans, calls for special initiatives. You remember when Zoom now started off for worship? You had some people that was probably saying that all of us who are participating in Zoom worship is going to a devil's hell. You, you guys remember that? You remember when this church used to have two, maybe three services? And when you move from having two services to just one service, I could tell you there, there were probably some people that were saying that this church is on the decline. They are going to a devil's hell because they are, they, are, they are taking away service as opposed to adding more. You know what I'm saying? So, so at the end of the day, sometimes you have to do things that are innovative so that you could accommodate the time and the people that you are trying to connect with and you are trying to build. And so that calls for innovation. When you and I see somebody trying to be innovative, pray for them. If you think that you have something that you want to do and you don't think you have the resources to do it, pray to God for the innovativeness to be able to accomplish that thing. And if you need help, talk to the elders. <laughs> they will supply you with whatever you need. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But I, I just want to thank you, God, you guys so much for listening. I, I, I'll, I'll say this and I'll shut up. It's... Today was a difficult day for so many reasons. I've, I've, I've been struggling to just keep my, my thoughts straight. In just a month, the congregation where I came from lost two longtime members, like pillars of the church. And just two days ago, found out that another brother who we, we grew very close to, another family who we grew, grew very close to, that, that family passed away from... The man, the husband passed away from complications due to COVID. Wife, wife messaged me almost immediately after I received the message to ask if I could preach the funeral. And of course, I'm going to, if, if, even if the funeral was today, I would have driven down today. But I want us to understand something. The reason why I'm saying all of this is because it became glaringly clear to me in that moment that many people are playing church and playing politics. The only time COVID becomes real to some people is when it hits home. But I want us to be the type of people that aren't so involved in 
politics and agendas that we can't see directly what's ahead of us and do all that we can to make sure that we keep our loved ones and those who are around us safe. We have not come here to get involved in anybody's agenda, but God's agenda. If you believe that, say amen. amen. I'm already over time, and I'm sure the people in the world are probably cursing me out right now. <laughs> but I need to say this. We have not come here to play church. We have come here to be the church. Amen. And a huge part of being the church is participating in the mission of sharing a gospel to our lost and dying world. You and I are here today only because God blessed us with life. Some people went to bed last night but didn't wake up to see today. That's reason for us to say praise God. You and I have been given another opportunity to make something right. Some people went to bed last night with sin in their life and didn't wake up to be able to confess Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That, that gives me and you reason to say, praise God. You and I have an opportunity to make the changes while we are alive. Some people no longer have that opportunity. Use the time that God has given you wisely. Because we are not here to play. We are here to be. If you believe God is real, say amen. If you are a Christian, say amen. amen. If you believe God has blessed you with the tools necessary to accomplish his will, say amen. amen. If you plan to use those tools, say amen. amen. Let's sing our song of invitation.